Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, at this moment in time, Star Trek Las Vegas is this week. Whoa, shit, really? Yeah, when this episode comes out, this will come out on the 29th of July which means we will be at Star Trek Las Vegas this week. But like at the end of the week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was really freaking out. So Star Trek Las Vegas uh, starts, I think, on the 31st and runs through August uh, 4th or something. Okay. And we're going to be there the 2nd, 3rd, and the 4th. Are we getting paid to promote this or like what's going on, Adam? Here's what I'm saying. I am not promoting this at all. I think if there's one thing we know about this convention is that they could not care less about whether or not we're going to be there, they would probably rather that we not show up. Yeah. I had a great time last year with you sort of crashing it. Yeah, I I like being an anonymous attendee. And I especially like not worrying about getting paid nine months later. Well, (laughs) there's that and also uh, having your payment information skimmed and then having to get new credit cards (laughs) and stuff. That's another thing that, that allegedly they had to deal with. Yeah. That's great. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm going to be paying in cash, which is why I haven't bought a ticket to the convention yet, yeah. and, I, and won't until I get there. We're going to bring the the Uxbridge Shimoda debit card to the to Las Vegas and go to a a casino ATM and pay the eight dollar uh, ATM fee. A, a casino ATM, a far safer bet than than running it through. That's the, what that eight dollars pays for, man, is security. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a great time last year, which is why I'm looking forward to going this year, Ben. It is days and nights of fun and debauchery yeah. and uh, and drinking and good friends. We met up with a bunch of friends at DeSoto last year. Hope to do the same this year. Yeah, if you're going and see us walking around, please come up and say hi. Don't feel like you're bothering us. Yeah, we'll let you know if you're bothering us. <laughs> we'll put Bill Tilly in between us and you. <laughs> I'd say the highlights from last year. Uh, zebra hoof cup. I'm going to write that wrong this year, Ben. I'm, I'm going to be a good sport about gift drinks. Nothing makes me happier than knowing that the emotional war I've waged on you for the last 365 days has, uh, has yielded results in you doing more problem drinking. I think you learned something about me at that point too, Ben, which is if I've been drinking all day, I don't want a complex, sweet cocktail in the form of a hoof. Yeah. I need simple pleasures at at the end of the night. I need to ask ahead of time if you've been drinking all day. I hate to make that a thing. We'll just do a little little lifeguarding of each other throughout. Vegas is the sort of place where things can get out of control, uh, consumption-wise. We're going to be popping broads like they're fucking vitamins, man. Because they are vitamins. That's right. Our, uh, Our drinking vitamins will save our lives those three days in Vegas. I'm excited for it, Uh, which is all to say, I think, that while we will be crashing the convention and doing a bunch of drinking and hanging by the pool and maybe even a little gambling, I am up for whatever while we're there. And that includes crashing someone's panel. No way. Interviewing someone famous. Not a chance. I'm down for all of it. If anybody famous wants to be interviewed, holler at your boys. Yeah. Who are our famous viewers? (laughs) Not many of those. What are you most looking forward to, Ben? I think that uh, a, a, a thing that I really enjoyed last year was watching you resist the temptation to buy a Captain Kirk jacket in the merch hall. And I'm wondering, I feel like your your defenses may be even weaker this year than they were last year. If it's there, I dare say it will be bought. Wow. I recently went on the website of the company that makes the Captain Kirk away team movie jacket and it was like sold out or something. So the thing about that jacket and buying it, Ben, is that if I were to buy it, it would have to live at your house. Why at my house? <laughs> because Just... there's no way I'm going to be allowed to have that thing here. Your wife would uh, would not permit it? No. 
Um, she would not permit it, and also I would have to explain it. I would just rather avoid all of that. So you're you're deferring all of the responsibility for that onto me, the guy who doesn't own the jacket, but would still have to get a divorce over the jacket. <laughs> but how great would it be to show up at the uh, at the pool at the Rio wearing <laughs> wearing the jacket and swim shorts? Oh man, the the Think Geek uh, TNG speedo and that jacket combination <laughs> is a pretty hot look for summer. I mean, I think. You can see the video getting very popular, right? Jumping into the pool wearing the jacket. <laughs> Going down the water slide in the jacket. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, you've, seen, you've seen the footage from those pool parties. People go into, into the pool in Klingon loaf, you know? Yeah. That's how you catch a fucking disease, man. <laughs> a disease like the one in today's episode. Wow, you get into the pool at the Star Trek Las Vegas hotel, uh, you're going to come down with The Quickening? (laughs) It's season four, episode 23, Adam. Also called The Quickening. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Hey, hey, is that pylon okay? I was wondering the same thing. I think we need a pylon update. They strategically only showed close-ups of the ops and uh, promenade section of the station, avoiding any exegesis on whether or not the pylon is okay. It's like a kid showing up to school on picture day with a zit and like turning their face just so, (laughs) so that you can't see it. Yeah. You know what the big maintenance concern is on the station, Adam? It's not that pylon that got shot clean off. It's that Quark has been going around the station hacking all the computers to show an advertisement for his bar. Come to Quark's Quark's fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! This is something that I feel very acutely because I don't know if you've been over to my house during the warmer months when the plane carrying the Geico banner has flown over. (laughs) There is just a fucking plane and a fucking Geico gecko banner that just flies all around the city when it's nice. And it is the absolute worst. They should, uh, like, like suddenly the Second Amendment, meaning that everybody can have surface-to-air missiles, seems like a reasonable interpretation of the law you know what would be great is to spend some time out in the backyard maybe do a little gardening have a layout even Mm -hmm. play some badminton and a low flying aircraft maybe 500 feet off the deck carrying a fucking picture of a gecko flies over (laughs) as if we could ever forget their stupid fucking company yeah unbelievable the nerve they must just be raking it in right their cost of customer acquisition must be so astronomically high given how much money they spend on advertising it must mean that you pay more when you have their insurance right because you're paying for that advertising budget yeah i hate them so much i hate them too i wish they i wish they weren't the car insurance that we had if you're a viewer and you work for them someone tell them not to fly airplanes over my house and uh tell them not to do it at uh at the beach in in new york anymore either because i used to go to the beach in new york and they would do that shit that same dumb airplane uh all the time same airplane yep probably quark and his methods i must admit fairly cute oh i love the part where my name rotates around he's gotten into the guerrilla marketing and he's doing it everywhere he's laser focused his marketing even onto Worf, who when he replicates prune juice on the little d it comes out in like a Hallmark singing mug that does the the pitch for Cork's Bar when you turn it on its side. I am trying to find this prop as a thing that you can get. It's got to be a thing that you can get. I don't see it anywhere. What? This is a prop that can be made into a sellable item. I don't understand why it doesn't exist. I love that it's got a picture of Quark and it says free refills and then asterisk limit one per customer. <laughs> Yeah. Like, there's so much in that. It's really funny. There's a cheapness to the mug that is also very affecting. Yeah. Like, it does not look like a good piece of merchandise that that Worf brandishes here. Like, it looks like those vinyl letters that you get at the hardware store to make a 
to make a sign, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, yeah. the quality of the printing. It's what my wife would call cheap and cheerful. <laughs> I love this jingle also. Yeah. Very catchy. I feel like O'Brien's sort of like a witness to this, not doing a whole lot uh, besides having to be the one that repairs all this shit with Quark later. But I feel like he's tapping his engineering dildo against the palm of his hand in the rhythm of the jingle mm. at the end of this scene. Mm. Like it's an earworm. Oh, he's got it stuck in his head. Mm-hmm. It's one of those scenes where it's like, hey, these are some characters on the show. Okay, <laughs> now we're done with them. About 30 minutes into the episode, I was like, I wonder whatever happened to Quark's marketing plan. <laughs> if you have questions about this at any point in the episode, they will not be answered. Ew. What do you call this story? It's not a sea story. It, it's it's just buried. It's it's literally a, a a cold open that is just there for for levity. Yeah, because the rest of the episode is just one A story. That's it's it. one super heavy A story. Yeah, we get there via runabout, and it's a runabout with Bashir, Dax, and Kira inside, and they're doing a survey in the G-Quad when they uh, have to divert to a planet that has sounded a distress signal. It's a planet that is just outside of Dominion space. So something that they shouldn't be terrified to go to, but it like it's, uh, it's antenna up, you know? Right. Which is interesting, right? Like, I don't think that up until now we've ever gotten the sense that there are, like, really well understood borders to where the Dominion is and isn't. No. And I don't know if the wormhole is within what the Dominion claim as their territory or not. It seems unclear if the Dominion feel a certain way about territory even. Right. Like it sort of seems like the Dominion just consider everything to be theirs and, uh, you know, it's either under control or in the process of being taken under their control. Right. The Dominion, of course, are a lot like my dog. <laughs> which doesn't care about toys unless other dogs are playing with toys, and then he goes and steals those toys. Yeah, but uh, Bashir and Dax beam down, and I really liked this uh, this shot where uh, this is a episode directed by Rene Aubergenois. Right. And uh, a really fun matte painting work in this episode. Really yes. does a maybe more than any episode of Star Trek heretofore does a great job of establishing an environment and a and a and a sense of place and atmosphere and feeling in in just this opening shot i saw a picture on the internet today that showed what bo peep looked like in the first toy story movie versus what she looks like in the one that's out right now Uh and it was just making the case that wow uh you know animations come a long way pixar's come a long way like even at the time yeah back the back with the first toy story it was it was breathtaking and and now look at it this feels like the same leap with matte paintings has happened here right like what we're seeing in this episode seems so much more sophisticated than we've ever gotten before and there's even like a what feels like a time lapse later on with this painting, like they're they're using yeah. it in a very sophisticated way, a uh, very good way that that I hope they're able to stick with. I don't really know how you pull off a zoom with a matte painting because yeah. this is like a shot of them beaming down and they're pretty much taking up the whole frame when they beam down and then it zooms way way out and it reveals a whole city skyline and like minarets and domes and and a a main road and it's 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 one continuous shot i have no idea how that's accomplished yeah it really is stunning and makes you feel like you're in a on an alien planet that they were able to like make this one shot work and then make it work consistently with the shots where it isn't a matte painting like the all the all the times when you're just with them walking around in the streets of this place and it feels consistent. It's really well done. I know we didn't plan this, Ben, but uh, we have the nominees for best location oh. in uh, in season four of Deep Space Nine, and wow. I have the envelope. Oh, my ben. goodness. I have the envelope. Uh, here we go. Uh, and the winner of best location in season four of Deep Space Nine oh is this mystery planet. <laughs> 
uh, for all the reasons you stated. Like it's it's totally developed and built, and it's out of nowhere that they did this. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it does not have a name, and all of the aliens here are human, and none of that is mentioned. Do you need that? That's a real like TOS and early TNG technology. Of, like, the people that live here look exactly like us. But we can't mention it because it breaks the spell. Right. Yeah, that's that's Star Trek magic. Their loaf is the blight. Right. They aren't on the surface very long before Bashir interacts with a woman known as Norva. Yeah. And uh, she has got the quickening. It's a grim place, right? Like, there seems to be sewage running down the street and... The first thing they walk by is somebody with like a shopping cart with a dead body in it. And then this woman runs up to them and she's got red uh, lightning bolts all over her face. And she's asking to be taken to Trevian. Trevian. And, uh, you know, Bashir is like is is jumping into doctor mode. Like he gives her an injection before he even <laughs> uh, tricorders her, which is like yeah. a pretty big leap from a. Like, making sure she's got the same kind of biochemistry as he does standpoint. Bashir's like, I've examined her urine thoroughly, and uh, (laughs) her physiology is very different and incredibly delicious. The flavor is delightful. And this one bald head dude is like, you're not from around here. You should go. Yeah, this is uh, E-Pran. Not to be confused with A-Pran, is who I am. He warns Bashir of the blight. And he is of the opinion that Bashir should just leave versus confront this blight. Right. So it really sets the tone. It really does. So, Trevian, Trevian is a hospital, and uh, Dax like runs off to find out how they can get to it. Trevian, Trevian is the name of the man, not the name of the hospital. Well, she says it's the name of the hospital, but it turns out to be the name of the man. Okay. All right. Dax comes back and says, I've got, I've gotten us transportation to this hospital. And Bashir's like, that's great, because I just met a guy, and he was a dick. So I assume <laughs> all people here are dicks. These aren't exactly the friendliest people I've ever met. And uh, Dax explains that she's uh, been able to to secure this information by bartering her hair tie. So she's going to be uh, hair down for the rest of the episode. Not a bad look. Yeah. But if you want to get down to work, I think you need to tie it back, right? She's out of uniform, but she looks great. Yeah. If you're going to be doing medicine on people, I think you got you to tie it back. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Keep those stray hairs out of the quickening bin. <laughs> I have a good friend who's got a a company that does a lot of work in the developing world, and they have a particular interest in advancing the cause of global health and public health in countries that don't have as many resources as ours. And when the Ebola outbreak happened a couple of years ago, like he was like in Nigeria for that. And I was like, holy shit, what is that like? Yikes. And I kind of had the same feeling in this episode that, like, they are walking through these streets in this place that obviously has, like, way lower sanitation standards than anywhere you typically visit in a Star Trek context. And I really admired how Bashir and Dax did not exhibit, like, fearful body language around people. They're just jumping in and helping. Uh, They're not worried about catching something, you know? It's aspirational and kind, but also there's no one they've encountered that is asymptomatic. Right. And if you've beamed into a place where everyone has the quickening, it's okay to betray some nervousness about that. But I think that's taken care of fairly early on because like in Bashir's very brief scan of that first person, he's like, uh, their physiology is so different from ours. We're we're not in any danger of contracting this. So, and in fact, I should not have given her that injection because that has made it ma- much more painful for her. <laughs> He's like, the only way you can contract this disease is by drinking their urine. Oh, I mean, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> 
Somebody on Reddit was like, where did that whole Bashir loves piss thing come from? It didn't come from anywhere, man. We fucking made it up. I'm, I'm making magic hands right now, man. We just <laughs> conjured it <laughs> with my mind. We just, we just figured that out about him. Yeah. I mean, really, the clues were all there. Yeah. No one has a collection of thermoses and is not also a piss freak. Yeah. Yeah. That's what those have in them. <laughs> that's why they smell so bad at thrift stores. <laughs> You ever find a good-smelling thermos, you buy it. They carry this lady to this hospital, and some orderlies come, and they're like, oh, she's quickened. Take her to Trevian. Trevian. And they're like, I thought this was Trevian. Trevian. And they're like, no, 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 Trevian. Trevian. It's a man. Hotel? Not a place. Trivago. And then Trevian, Trevian! appears, and he's like, porque no las dos? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they... Uh, I'll uh, put them up on their shoulders and, and, and raise them over their heads. Trevian, Trevian! is uh, Kevorkianing his way through this episode. He's kind of like if Mother Teresa and Jack Kevorkian were one person. He's Mother Kevorkian. <laughs> but here's the thing, and this is, I mean, if we're going to talk about what an episode is trying to say or or how it relates to a contemporary issue like this is an assisted suicide episode and so trevian trevian embodies the position of of mercy killing right because once someone uh contracts the quickening and their their blue spots turn red that's when the pain sets in and you can die really painfully and it takes a long time to do that and so trevian trevian has made a tea yeah he's he's a mixologist if you will he administers a grape kool-aid to those with the quickening yeah and he's able to to hasten their demise but the the way he sees it is that it's compassionate to do that because there's no cure to the quickening he really butts up against Bashir because i mean he is an ideologue of of this kind of compassion in Bashir's mind like the thing you do when someone is sick is you do you move heaven and earth to save them and right. Trevian, Trevian lives in a in a on a planet and in a context where that is utter foolishness and so they have a major ethical difference of opinion the way you get to a point where you don't find Trevian, Trevian. evil is because of his life experience being that he has moved heaven and earth, and it didn't do anything. Right. They all tried as hard as they could to cure a thing that they have found to be incurable. And so I think that's why by the end of the story, you don't see Trevian, Trevian. as an evil man. Like, if he were truly evil, he would be anti-vax. He would be anti-medicine. He would be anti-research. Right. But his life experience is just that he's tried everything, and he's like the guy with the morphine on the battlefield. Yeah, like sometimes field medicine, just all you can do is make someone comfortable. What he explains to them is that this is a Jem'Hadar project. They resisted colonization or or takeover by the Dominion, and this was done not just as retribution, but also as to to like set an example for other worlds in the quadrant. The planet that they live on was not unlike Earth in many ways. They were, you know, starting to explore and starting to visit other planets and uh, become a an advanced society. And this happened to them. And now they are like medieval peasant level of technology. Up in the runabout, Kira has scanned the planet and like cross-referenced it with the names they have in stellar cartography. And it explains why the planet's name is Planet, Look at What You Made Us Do. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing now? It doesn't seem in keeping with with the founders or the Jem'Hadar's sensibility about like leaving anyone alive. It just seems like they would slash and burn and move on. Yeah, because Trevian, Trevian keeps saying like, don't ever fuck with the Dominion or the founders because they'll do this to you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think we've ever felt like this was one of the potential outcomes of 
resisting the Dominion. Yeah, like, has biological warfare been on the table this whole time? I don't know. Seems like it's on the table now. Yeah. They leave the hospital, and they're, like, back outside hanging out. Dax has has discovered where the distress beacon is that that brought them here, and it's just, like, equipment that happens to still be plugged in in some building that has probably been abandoned for hundreds of years. And the doctor's like... All right, like, let's get out of here. This is a fucking disaster, and it's really bumming me out. And uh, as they're making this decision, a uh, a young woman walks up to them, and she was in the she was in the hospital. She was she she kind of noticed them, but didn't speak up then. Uh, but uh, she comes up and introduces herself. Her name is Acoria. Oh yeah, and uh, and she has Dax and Bashir set up a clinic in in her home and kind of gets Bashir onto the idea that like, Hey, like you're a doctor. Like we don't have those. We have Trevians, you know, <laughs> like we need uh, maybe like a fresh set of eyes. Right. Well, nobody around here seems to want our help. I do. And so like they talk to Kira and they're like, and Kira is like, Hey, uh, there's like a pretty good chance that the Gemini are going to come like patrolling around. And if they find a runabout in orbit of this planet, it's going to be trouble. So um, she is going to go take uh, take refuge with the runabout in the Gymkata Nebula, which is a, a nebula with gymnastic thrills and karate kills. When gymnastics and karate are fused. So she's just going to enjoy herself there for like a week and then come back and scoop them up. If there's one person on this show who would enjoy that it's major kira <laughs> yeah totally uh, i feel like Worf would enjoy gymnastic yeah. thrills and karate kills that's fair bashir really develops an affection for akoria and he sort of realizes why he became a doctor to begin with like he, this is him and his element like he wanted to be a frontier doctor uh, from the pilot episode, and and here he sits. <laughs> but uh, one thing that also calls back season one Bashir is that he gives Akoria an examination by sitting behind her and wrapping his arms around her, like uh, he's teaching her how to bowl. Yeah, or or make pottery as a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't have to give an exam that way, Dr. Bashir. Yeah. But this is like a moment for them to bond, uh, because Akori is pregnant, and that's concerning on a number of levels. It's because on the planet, uh, many of these babies are born with the quickening. All babies are born. Everybody's born with it, and everybody dies from it. It makes pregnancy kind of a sad thing, yeah, and Akori and- is definitely wearing this sadness. And I think that like one thing that they kind of imply but never say out loud is that their population is collapsing because so many b- people die young that the idea that you would live to an age to reproduce at all is in question. And I would imagine that lots of people choose not to even try in in a context like that. It would seem as though sex could be very painful if you're rubbing blight against itself. Legion on legion. Yeah, that's no good. But Akoria is given hope in her relationship with Bashir, so much so that uh, she decides to bust out her death rations and share them with Dax and Bashir. Death rations are a concept that we're introduced to early on in the episode at the hospital because that's where these are enjoyed. When Trevian Trevian gives a person with the quickening, uh, the medicine with which to die, they enjoy all of these nice things that they saved up. And and that's like part of the comfort that is given to a patient at the very end. Like they, they get to eat all of these nice things. They get to wear all of their best clothes one yeah. last time and then they die. And so like this show that Acoria does here by busting out her tins of pickled vegetables and and whatever else she's got hidden under her desk. Akoria's a hipster, and she's just super into canning, you know? Yeah, uh, it, it proves that she's in it for the long run, and she's willing to sacrifice those rations for a little bit of hope. I read a thing recently that the uh, the ancient Egyptian civilization, like, it, it lasted, like, like, a super long time in in terms of, like, what is normal for, like, sophisticated civilizations, 
And one of the theories behind why that is, is that when super rich people died, they were buried with all their wealth Hmm. and like, and like skimming excess wealth off the top of a society as, as a matter of course, like as a routine, like stabilized their society for a really long time. Oh, because wealth wasn't generational the way it is now. Yeah. Thought that was an interesting thing. They're really onto something there. Yeah. Good ideas. I don't know. It's the 1% of the pharaohs <laughs> that take 99% of the profits. The pharaoh class <laughs> has far too long. <laughs> the 1% of pharaohs. Anyway, I think that for all of this episode being about whether physician-assisted suicide is a good thing uh it it is also about like whether or not it is okay to give hopeless people hope Mm. and i think that is kind of like the the middle act of this episode is about bashir starting to get encouraging results from doing science on what's going on here and infecting the people with hope and ikoria is is the avatar of that feeling of hope she's a young pregnant woman who is excited about what's happening and trevian trevian is very against it you know we'll have none of that hope around here yeah i don't want to be out of a job yeah i mean unclear what the economics are of death in this society yeah what he seems to be is so cynical that he won't even consider false hope as a as something viable like right you would rather not have even that right as someone who i think has had that many times before and he's had it dashed he's just a guy like the lights have gone out in his eyes because he's seen so much death and suffering he just can't see a way around it he's he's sick and tired of this fool me once situation and has a real like deep difference of opinion with bashir about what is good for people in in that context. So the idea of of Travian's rejection of this false hope is based on you know what it it's like not it's not put in these words but it seems like charlatans have come and gone before. Yeah. And it's not just that people have promised things that didn't end up working, it's that people have like profited off of the hope in a way that has cemented the cynicism that people like Trevian have. Right. And so if Bashir's going to make any of this work, you would imagine at some point he's got to make Trevian, Trevian into a believer. He's got to make Akoria into a believer and uh he's got to make Eprin into a believer too. Loki, the most fucked up scene in the episode is how Bashir achieves that, which is like amidst a rabble in the town square, grabs a little kid with a broken arm and cures the broken arm. I love uh, Dr. Bashir, David Blaining, that kid. (laughs) Like he totally street magics him. Oh, you have a fracture right here. I bet it hurts. Better? It almost makes him seem like more of a snake oil salesman. Stop putting you in soda in our mouth! And it, like, that is exactly what street magic is. I know. And it's like, from an ethical standpoint, like grabbing a kid and shooting a laser at their arm <laughs> seems like a bad way to practice medicine, but it does have the effect of like convincing a bunch of people. And so, like, Bashir gets a dozen volunteers and. Yeah. They come invite themselves into Ikoria's house where Bashir has like fully clinicized the situation. And now yeah. he has like a point of comparison between people who are kind of pre-quickening blight and then, po- you know, and post-quickening blight or blue and red is probably the easier way to think about it. You know, even pre-quickening, Ben, can get a woman pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why you gotta pack a pack a vest. You cannot use the right. pull-out method. It's not a reliable right. form of birth control. Epran's uh, like first in line here. Yeah, he tells Bashir he's canceled his death, which I thought was a great turn of phrase. Yeah, he was really looking forward to it. So, Bashir has administered some drugs to these people, and later on that night, Epran's not looking so good. He began by responding well to the treatment, but but he's kind of gone downhill. And interestingly enough, Acoria has been 
field promoted to nurse like she's helping administer the drugs too yeah she's like taking a real role in this whole thing she's like almost pa level like she's she's like administering injections and like doing bedside manner and everything yeah and ipran sort of crashes and uh he's flopping around and the quickening has quickened and that's because of the the illness is, has mutated, and it has to do with their equipment and their equipment's EM fields. Like yeah. Bashir runs around and unplugs a bunch of his gear, but it's too late. Epran is dead. RSVP Epran. If if Bashir had brought the ethics board of his research institution out to the G Quad with him, I think they might have taken exception to them administering the antigen to like a dozen people at a time yeah you need a test subject right not two dozens test subjects yeah shit goes fucking sideways and this scene is terrifying isn't it because everyone's flopping around everyone's moaning bashir's name it is a cascade failure and and i thought that there was it was so interesting that trevian trevian and julian kind of sounded similar in these people's mouths because trevian shows up and it becomes clear that they are actually calling out for him and wow he is helping people escape the pain of what bashir's kind of half-cocked research has led to yeah i mean whose name are you going to call out if the pain that has been promised to you from everyone that you know and love is finally there you're probably calling for trevian you're right. It's it's a terrifying scene. It's, I think, beautifully lit, very scary makeup on the on the sick characters. We don't talk a lot about Alexander Siddig as an actor, but I think his ability to react to this moment is well done. Like this is the worst thing a doctor can experience on a scope that we haven't seen in the show. Yeah, and it's it's awful to watch him go through. Like, it is scenes like this that make me feel sure that doctor is not my calling in life because this is, like, like such a terrifying idea, you know? Yeah. Like, I want to stay well clear of making decisions that lead to 12 people dying all at once. To be quite honest about it, that is an appeal. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. This is a galvanizing moment for Bashir because it, it's sort of a a medical fight or flight situation. You could consider this a failure yeah. to the degree that Bashir and Dax should leave. Bashir is standing in this room and what were people suffering from this illness are now mummies. They're all wrapped in death shrouds and... Bashir is standing among their corpses talking to Dax about like, fuck, like all, it wasn't even, it was like some, like my equipment being here around them is the thing that caused this. He's fighting this mental battle on three fronts, right? He feels awful about not being able to stop the blight like he thought he would. He regrets offering the false hope that he gave them, even though everyone was cautioning him against offering that. Yeah. And then he sort of regrets his own arrogance, which is, it's so personal to him. Like, you almost cannot separate the arrogance from Dr. Bashir. And so it's almost as if he regrets being who he is. I wanted Kira to pick us up and maybe like, yep, solved a planetary crisis all by myself. Yeah. That insight horrifies him. And all three of these things add up to how he's feeling. And I love Dax's advice in that moment because she says, like, yeah, there was arrogance in thinking that you could just find the cure really quickly. But it's even more arrogant to think there isn't a cure just because you couldn't find it. It like it really knocks him on his ass. So so like his last moment on the planet is him going to see this mural, which is a mural that um, that Ikoria's late husband painted of like an image of this planet before it was laid waste in the way it is like it like a kind of idealized like image from the past 
and uh, he's like checking it out and uh, and she starts talking to him over his shoulder and he turns around and realizes that she has gone red. She's got the quickening. But is not resentful, you know? Like she was there in the most horrifying moment of this experience and she's like feeling like the future wasn't totally fucked for a few days was actually great you know like it was worth it just for that for the feeling that i experienced when people describe their friends and family as being brave for being diagnosed with a mortal disease i feel like more often than not this is what that's describing yeah and i think it is ikoria that gives Bashir permission to stay behind. Like Bashir and Dax go up to the runabout, but Bashir makes it clear that he's got to stay behind. His job isn't over. I thought this was such an interesting moment because we're 34 minutes into a 44-minute episode. Yeah, the timing of this is wild. And this is where a character heads home and and grapples with the the horror of what they've experienced or whatever in 9.9 out of 10 television episodes yeah and because like the flow of time in this episode has not been it's not been real time but it's been like a a consistent rate of speed i feel like and -hmm. then after this point what happens is takes place over a course of like weeks and months i think oh really yeah like like this like the first 34 minutes of this episode happen over the course of one week and then the last 10 minutes happen over like several weeks oh and the only reason you know that is because at the very end you see uh the pylon has been reattached to deep space nine (laughs) it's funny to like so we beam down to the surface with bashir and it's like bashir and four suitcases yeah he's got all the pelicans of medical equipment yeah and he is redoubling himself uh in the effort to solve this problem and Ikoria is Bashir's only patient. Like, we had a wide angle on this problem for 30-ish minutes, like you say. But now we are just in Ikoria's home. And if it's going to get solved, it's going to get solved here and with her. It's back to basics. It's Dr. Quinn-style medicine that he's practicing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everything has to be without technology. He's, like, doing... He's listening to her chest through like a old timey stethoscope device. He's checking her her blood and discovers that like the antigen is not even present in her blood anymore, which is confounding, but uh, but an important piece of information. And we've got a deadline here, right? Yeah, because Ikoria isn't going to live long enough to see the baby through to term, and that's a problem. Yeah. If they want this baby to live. She's got six weeks left, but he could induce in two if he can keep her alive until then. And that's the thing that gives you the timeline, I think, more than anything, is yeah. is that you eventually see this baby born. Right. Bashir should have grown the beard, right? <laughs> that would have been great, yeah. If he was, like, scraggly by the time they came back and got him. I would have loved that. He's uh, done it before. He's done it before, yeah. I mean... I think it's interesting that he focuses on making sure that the baby is okay first. But, like, the idea here is that Bashir has basically left Starfleet for all intents and purposes. Like, he has dedicated his life to solving the problem on this planet. You know, until you said that, that was not clear to me. But it's true. It's absolutely true. He basically left his comm badge on the runabout. Right. And has has made an arrangement to like call for pickup when he has solved the problem. Like he is right. It's, it's like dark Knight rises when, uh, Bruce Wayne realizes that he can't escape the, the pit when he's got the rope tied around his waist. Like the rope is the thing that's holding him back. Indeed. So he, uh, holds on. And, um, there's an interesting scene where Akoria wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, Trevian, Trevian is there, and he's like, he's putting like uh, like mustard on her forehead. Am I dead? Is that what you want? I can end your suffering. That's unconsensual mustard. Yeah. 
Ben, I don't, I don't think anyone wants to wake up that way. Like, no. you wake up and it's the angel of death, Trevian. Yeah. Trevian. Trevian. Trevian is, like, the oldest dude on this planet. Like, everybody's, like, blown away at how long he's lived with this, with this illness. And, and uh, he, he pitches her in this moment, like, hey, uh, I know you're really uncomfortable right now, and I've got ideas about how to help you with that. W slash R slash T, drinking poison. Would it have helped if Trevian, Trevian. was kind in his uh, medical ministrations? Because there's like, I've been watching a lot of Deadwood lately, and the doctor in Deadwood is like bedraggled and drunk and angry at his circumstances. He really is, because he's seen a lot of death, and it frustrates him. And it frustrates him when he sees people kill each other senselessly. But he's also inherently kind at the same time and i felt like that might have been missing like he is killing these people but it's mercy like kindness and mercy go together but he only has one of those ingredients yeah i think this episode acknowledges that about him the concept of bedside manner has to be elucidated he is expressing the only kind of kindness he knows which is an extremely limited mercy killing form of kindness <laughs> yeah Bashir walks in on them and uh, and stops the mustarding. Yeah. Kind of scares him away. Like, he has the conversation with Trevian. Trevian. We've been wanting to see had the entire time, which is why is death the only thing you focus on or care about? Right. And, you know, Trevian's Trevian. deal is that, like, the long life I've had, the shit I've seen, like, this is this is the most humane way to deal with the with the way life is for me and my people yeah he's a doctor with a thousand mile stare but he leaves without euthanizing Ikoria and the next scene is her having her baby there's some pushing there's some breathing gotta do that there's some catching yeah and she's like in a weird, she's at a weird angle. I feel it like. It looks like he's working on her feet. Yeah. Not everybody keeps their genitalia in the same place, Captain. Oh, yeah. That could be it. Also, <laughs> she doesn't look, she does look like she's sitting in a chair in, in the shots of her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, where's this baby coming out from? A moment of light in a very dark episode is that the baby comes out and it's blight free. Blight free baby. And they have that moment in the town square where Trevian like lion kings this baby. Yeah. <laughs> in she, front of everyone. She, she gets like her last moment alive is finding out that her baby doesn't have the blight. Yeah. And then and then it is Trevian's trophy to, to hold up. Trevian's like, you mind if I, I'm just going to reach in. I'll just, okay, it looks like you did. <laughs> <laughs> this shot is amazing. It looks like it's a crane on a dolly. Yeah. Because it ends on Bashir kind of standing in some ruins watching this from uh, from a remove. And uh, it's really great. This whole composition's great. The way he's framed kind of implies that uh, he is isolated from them and also not really there to take the to take the the credit for what he has done. Exactly. Yeah, he's been so wounded by the deaths of of everyone early in the episode and the deaths to come because all this does is solve the future problem. And this is something that the button of the episode uh, interrogates because Cisco greets Bashir with gratitude. Good work. But Bashir can't really relish any of those good feelings because he's sad about those that he's lost and he knows that basically everyone he met there is dead. Yeah. Like the babies are the only ones that are safe. The going next forward. generation, like from the moment he set foot on that planet going forward, are the only people that have a hope of surviving. Yeah. But and 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 he's gone home with the problem of trying to solve the virus problem remotely, and it uh, gives the impression that it's going to be an obsession of his. It's a pyrrhic victory. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I really did. I thought it was great. It it was uh, nice to have one with Bashir again. I thought, getting back to what we were describing before, this set was fantastic, and it was 
really like the high point in the season as far as sets go. Yeah. Um, almost wish that like they could have used this for other episodes. It was so good and developed and detailed. Uh, it was it was Star Warsy in its quality. Like like there's there's like it's not just exteriors or it's not just one main interior. That's a big room. There are areas of interiors here that are all dressed yeah. uniquely. It just shows such an attention to detail that it's just impossible to sustain in a 26 episode season. So when you get it, you really appreciate it. I mean, it's it's so much more detailed and developed than any exterior scene we ever got in TNG. Yeah. And it's just so spectacular. It feels like it it's a, an exterior worthy of a multi-episode arc, you know. Right. It's that level and and the fact that it is just one episode is amazing. Which is to say nothing of the story that is told using it. Like it is it it's well conceived and well suited to the story. The episode of, that I'm thinking of is the one from TNG where uh Data wakes up on that planet with the radioactive material. Yeah. And has to save the people there. Like this is a type of Star Trek story. Right. Where you're on a planet surface and you're and you're there to save. This is not the courtyardification of an outdoor set that TNG often resorted to. Nor is it the happy ending that episodes of that era had. To end on a darker note here, I think, shows a maturity that would continue. This feels momentous in a way, this episode. Yeah. So I really liked it. Sounds like you did too. Yeah, I really did too. Yeah, this is an episode that I have... Uh, always remembered from my first watch through of Deep Space Nine, and I, and that was a a watch through that was not um, not complete by any means. But I've always remembered this episode as being particularly good, and and I could never remember like where in the in the order it came. But uh, yeah, this is a particularly good episode in a show that has really come into its own. I think. Yeah, you know, you got basically a war movie in To the Death in the episode that came before, and then this the show takes a right-hand turn into kind of a classic story told really well. It yeah. feels like a interesting part in this series' development. I feel like great music in the last couple episodes. Like that episode yeah. and this episode both felt like the music was really on a new level. Yeah. Well, uh, one place we tend to play music in every episode is the reading of our Priority One messages. Ben, you want to get to those? Yeah, let's do it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Elizabeth, and it is to David... And the message goes like this. Congratulations on completing your doctorate in classics. Wow. We survived. <laughs> I am so proud of you, and I'm looking forward to spending the rest of my life with such a smart and knowledgeable husband. Damn. I love you so much, even more than Star Trek. What? find it hard to believe that anybody loves anything more than they love Star Trek. Uh, Elizabeth has a great capacity for love, yeah. it seems. And, uh, and David seems pretty lucky. Uh, wow, doctorate in classics. I hope uh, Elizabeth is also rich. Yeah, because she'll know how to live life as the partner of somebody raking it in the, in the classics racket. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, congratulations, David. Good job by you and uh, to you both, actually. Yeah. Jeez, getting it done. That sounds great. As a person who... Uh, has a partner who has gotten a higher degree, I can feel that pain, you know, like the 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 struggle of uh, of of going and getting it and getting it done. Uh, it's it's a big deal. So, congrats to both of you. It's best when you have a great partner seeing it through. So, looks good for them. Adam, our next priority one message is from B, and it's to Pi symbol. And the message is dollar sign. Whoa, that's it? Yeah, it's it's from... I thought you were going to continue. It's from capital B. It's to pi symbol, and it's 
dollar sign is the is the message. This might be the lowest number of characters used per dollar spent of any priority one message we have ever received. The only way to do any less would be to have less width with the character. So if you were to do a message from I and the message is for lowercase l. Yeah. And the message itself was a uh, numeral 1. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That record's hard to beat. There it is. It's up there on the leaderboard. So anybody that wants to beat it, head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. And it's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 for a commercial message. And uh, doing so helps support the production of The Greatest Generation. Hey, Adam. It's that, Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. We talked about it a little bit earlier. It's that street magic scene with Bashir. Like, Bashir is desperate at this point. He's got to somehow prove to the village that he has medical prowess. Yeah. How do you do it? You need to do something flashy and public. And so he he am become miracle worker. Yeah. He isn't gross about it because he doesn't, like, hold his arms up in the air and and say, like, I'm Dr. Bashir, I've come to save you. Like, he lets the kid <laughs> tell the story, and I think that's classy. But as far as a Shimoda move goes, doing street magic is Shimoda to me. Yeah. And in an episode that was fairly dark, that was a moment of, if not levity, that was a moment of light that, that I seized on to. So I had a hard time choosing a Shimoda, so I made that one mine. What about you? Yeah, I mean that scene is the is the Shimoda scene. My Shimoda is Ipran. I almost felt like Bashir was paying Ipran off in that scene because <laughs> like he like he like marches over and really like makes a big show of leaning over the kid and looking really closely at the laser when when Bashir is. Uh... <laughs> Ipran's the guy that does that wins three card Monty in order to get the tourist to play three card Monty. Yeah, he was totally he was totally a plant in the audience in a yeah. in a way that was totally like I you know obviously not not what the writers intended and I don't think that that's what is intended in the performance but I think um, the camera direction just to keep Ipran as like an interested observer for right. whom this will be an impressive display uh who then you know goes and goes and shows up later to uh become one of Bashir's victims is just the staging of his character is, is so hilarious to me that uh he got my Shimoda. Epran played by Dylan Haggerty uh I think just deserves to be named. He does a lot of work in this episode. Yeah. And uh, I think he's really good in it. Yeah, he's uh he's a that guy. You know, we named him, we should probably name Ikoria. That was Ellen Wheeler. And yeah. Boshi and Dylan, like really they are above the title actors in this episode. They're totally. great. Yeah, really good. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. 
And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen. So I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up for the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season four, episode 24, Body Parts. Misdiagnosed with a terminal disease, Quark sells his body parts on the Ferengi market to pay off his debts, then finds himself unable to break the contract. Another terminal disease episode, Adam. That's a problem for him. Yeah, no kidding. Those contracts are ironclad. Yeah. Uh, do you want to find out how we're going to be doing this episode, Adam? The only way to do that is by consulting the Game of Buttholes Rule of the Prophets. And I have done so, Ben. We're on mm. square 25 currently. Three squares ahead. We have a Naked Now episode. Damn. That's the, uh, that's the one where we have to draw a bath and then record the show from our, our bathtubs. A very compromised episode yeah. that would be you're required to learn as you play roll uh, i've got the die in my hand i'm rolling that die Ooh. oh that was close i, I rolled a four Chula! did i win hardly we hopped over it <laughs> we're uh we're on square 29 ben had we landed on the bathtub square I had the mind to just record in my usual studio setting and just like... Have like a, a basin of water that you were yeah. splashing periodically? Yeah, do the foot bath style. I would do it, man. I know you would. You would You're too. You got to do it. I know. Well, as it is regular old episode by us. We can, we can always hit it eventually, Adam. Yeah, uh, plenty of buttholes to go around on this game board, right? Indeed. Plenty of people to thank to go around, too. Ben. That's true. Well, we got to thank, most of all, uh, those who choose to support The Greatest Generation, Friendly Fire, and The Greatest Discovery over at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Those that support on a monthly level are able to keep us working yeah. on a monthly level. A good free way to support the show happens uh, on your podcatcher. You can leave a five-star review and rating over at Apple Podcasts, or if you're using any other podcatcher a five thing review would be most appreciated by doing that you uh, help elevate the notice of a show like ours a show which still has gone unnoticed by the star trek industrial complex 
please uh, join us in celebrating the great work of Bill Tilly, who makes hilarious trading cards about every episode of the show. He puts them up on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I know he's been posting them on the Facebook group. He now has a Tumblr. That's right. I think it is Bill Tilly. 1973.tumblr.com. We're going to meet up with him at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, we sure are. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to be meeting up with him this week. I'm going to get Tilly a hoof. Yeah. There's no escape for him. Yeah, he will He will drink all the hoofs. <laughs> there, might, there might be something bigger than the hoof at that, at that little stand. and uh, The yard of hoof? I think there might be a yard of hoof. Oh boy! Yeah, I don't want to I'd, kill the guy, but if there's a yard of anything, I just I need a two-ingredient beverage. Yeah, it's the only way. Bill Tilly drinks for free when he's in our presence. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, he does a great job. Also uh, doing a great job out there is JJ Lendl, who makes movie posters of every episode of Deep Space Nine. And he posts them the Sunday before our episode goes out. Adam Ragusea drinks for free in our presence. He, of course, is the person behind the great music you hear on The Greatest Generation. Uh, he, in many cases, took the original music of Dark Materia, who offered that to us after we asked him. Check out uh, all the other great shows on MaximumFun.org. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. Seems to be in need of a lawyer, maybe even a country lawyer. Oh, yeah. Trevian. 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 Trevian.